Well, good morning, church. Have you guys been enjoying the True and Better Sermon series uh, as we study through? Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, would you open with me to the book of 1 Samuel? 1 Samuel, and today we're going to... We're not going to read just yet, Pedro. You're going to be standing for a minute. I love you. Um, so we're in 1 Samuel. We're going to read a little bit about and, and discover how Jesus is the true and better David. We're going to spend probably three weeks talking about David. He takes up a pretty significant portion of the Bible. And what I want us to see as we look at David in Scripture is that David's story is not unlike the others we've looked at. David's story is pointing us to an ultimate redeemer, an ultimate rescuer, an ultimate king, Jesus. And David, the shepherd boy, becomes a savior king. And much like David, Christ is an even greater, the true and better shepherd king. So uh, let me just say, before we dig in, I'm, I'm really thankful to serve as a pastor alongside with other elder pastors here. And thankful for Jeff and the sermon he brought last week. Um, great message on the love of God as Father and uh, a needed word. Uh, you know, Several months ago, he mentioned to me that he just felt the Lord had something he wanted to share. So we scheduled that time for him to share. And actually, while he was preaching last week, I had the opportunity to serve in our nursery and uh, hang out with the little bitty kiddos and teach in there. What a blast. That was fun. Uh, if you're not doing that, if you're not rotating through um, in uh, ministry with our with our youngest kids, uh, you're missing a real blessing. It's uh, it's actually a lot of fun. If you're a, a mom or dad who have kids in there, I really want to encourage you to get on the list so that you can actually see how your children are being discipled to know and love Jesus. Um, so uh, if, you're, if you're not already on that list, please sign up to, to serve in that capacity. We, we could always use some more help in there. Uh, actually, this week, one of the things that if you do serve in that area, you'll notice is our kids are actually learning the very same truths that you're learning. Um, during the week, um, Tucker and I are actually working together to write the curriculum for the nursery teaching. And it's uh, exactly in line with what we're preaching in here on Sunday, just um, simplified a little bit. But they're memorizing a scripture today, and I'd like for us to memorize it as well. Would you, would you guys want to work with me on memorizing a scripture together? What do you think? Okay, so um, Sarah, do you have this where we can put it on the screen? So we're going to look at it a couple of times, and then uh, we're going to try to say it from memory. You ready? This is Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. Would you guys say this aloud with me? Jesus' words, right? And this is what he's teaching. Here's what he says. Ready? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Listen to those words. Now there's an exhortation and then there's an explanation. Fear not is the exhortation, right? Don't be afraid. And then here's the explanation. Because it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Are you ready to try it again? All right, look at the words. Ready? Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm. Mm. Okay, let's take the words off the screen for a second. You ready? Luke 12, 32. Here we go. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay, okay, not bad, not bad. Give yourselves a hand, good job. Hold that one up here because in about three minutes we're going to do it again. Here we go. 
Now, what we've learned to do as we study the scriptures, we've learned that all the Bible is telling us who our God is and how he intends to save us. So from this text in particular, I want this is question and answer. I want you to answer to me. There's at least three um, characterizations of who our God is in this verse. You ready? Who is our God? What does it say about him? Fear not little what? So what does that make our God? He's a shepherd, right? He's a shepherd. All right. What else do we know about him? For it is your what? Father. So we know he's a father. His good pleasure to give you the what? What does that make our God? King. King. Okay. So here's what we see from this one verse about who God is. He's our shepherd. He's our father. And he's our king. That's beautiful truth, isn't it? And listen to what else the truth says. It says you don't have to fear little flock because you have a shepherd who's guarding and protecting and caring for you. He's watching over your soul. There's no reason to fear. And he is a father who loves to give. He's greater than any earthly father. Them being evil, even they know how to give good gifts. How much more your heavenly father gives, right? He gives. It's his good pleasure to give. And what does he give? The kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's kind of ethereal, isn't it? Sort of out there, right? Here's what the kingdom of God is. It's his, it's his reign and rule over a people, over a place. Is God reigning and ruling in your heart? It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to welcome you into his reign and his rule. So we see at least these three things about God here. He's a shepherd. He's a father. He's a good king. Luke 12, 32. You ready, church? Luke 12, 32. Quote it with me. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Very good. Well done. All right. So this morning, our kids are actually memorizing that verse. So you moms and dads, you can quiz your kids, see if they remember it. Um, In today's passage in here, what we're going to see is that God chooses the unlikely shepherd, a shepherd boy, the youngest son of eight. He chooses him to be a majestic king over Israel. What we learn is that God doesn't just look on the outside. He doesn't see things as man sees. God actually sees the heart. And the heart of this shepherd king points us to the true and better king. The ultimate shepherd of our souls, King Jesus Christ. So now, if you've found your place in 1 Samuel 16, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? We're going to read a portion of the story Introducing us to the young man who will be King David. 1 Samuel 16, reading the first 13 verses. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse. The Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If if Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, 
Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, to consecrate your, you consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man sees and looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy. And had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Let's pray. I'd like to pray a prayer I hear. Alistair Begg pray a lot. This is what he says, and I think it's a beautiful prayer. Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Would you be seated, please? So a little bit of background leading us up to this point in uh, 1 Samuel 16. The people in Israel had enjoyed uh, a lot of years with Samuel in leadership as uh, the Lord's prophet and the Lord's judge. You know, he's the Samuel is the last of the judges that was appointed uh, to lead over uh, the people of Israel. But Samuel had gotten old. And uh, his two sons were beginning to take a lot of the leadership. And those guys were not nearly as honorable men as their father. Um, God's people began to ask for a king. The people of God wanted a God they could see. They wanted to be like the other nations around them that had a man over their armies, a man who was leading the charge. They wanted a chosen leader. And so God gave them a king. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, we read about God's appointing of King Saul, the first king over Israel. 
things at first with Saul and under his leadership went really well until they didn't. Saul was big. He was strong. He was head and shoulders above most all the men in Israel. He had the look of a king on the outside, but he did not have the heart of a king on the inside. Saul needed, we found out later, Saul needed the praise of the people. And as is the case for all of us, Saul devoted himself to pleasing men. It resulted in displeasing God. God wanted a king who was a man after his own heart, not a man chasing the hearts of his people. Church, you know, there will always be trouble when in your heart, God is small and people are big, right? That was the problem with King Saul. And in 1 Samuel 15, the chapter before where we picked up our reading today, Saul actually dishonors God. He lies to the prophet Samuel. And God's promise was to strip the kingdom from him. There's this real dramatic moment where Samuel is rebuking King Saul and Saul's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Samuel, the prophet, turns to walk away. Saul grabs his robe and the robe tears. And Samuel turns back and says, just as you've torn my robe from me, God is tearing the kingdom from you. It's a drastic moment in 1 Samuel 15. God rejected Saul from being king. And he promised to give the kingdom to another better king. And here's where we pick up the story in chapter 16. God tells Samuel to snap out of it. Stop grieving over a failed leader. I have someone greater. Fill your horn with oil, right? Go anoint the next king. So the prophet was given the job of anointing a new king, and the Lord was about to shock the world with the king he had chosen. I think when we think back on the history of King David being selected, it just doesn't resonate with us how unlikely a king David would have been. We kind of see it in the storyline, but we just don't pick up on it much. So I want to show us at least three really big truths from this text And I want to point us to Christ with these truths. We'll see David in the narrative. But here are the first. Here's the first of three principles or truths about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is an unlikely king. He is an unlikely king. When we look at David, we see that Samuel uh, was told to go to Bethlehem to find a man named Jesse. And that the next king would be one of his sons. Well, Bethlehem now is a little bit bigger city. But in these days, Bethlehem was a tiny little town on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Um, It would be kind of like, and I run the risk of uh, insulting some people here. But it would be kind of like God saying, um, I want you to go to Ohachi to find the next president. Did I make you mad, Jeremy? I'm sorry, but um, it's just unusual, right? I mean, you know, it's a tiny little town, doesn't even have a red light. Well, Ohachi has a red light. Um, tiny little town, right? That, I mean, you wouldn't expect a 
a leader to come out of this place. And, and this town, Bethlehem, was actually known for just shepherding. Like, that's what they did. They raised sheep and lambs and goats. This was shepherd's town. It was a shepherd's town because that city just outside Bethlehem were just fields and green pastures and olive groves. It was just a great place, hillsides to, to raise sheep. Bethlehem, the name Bethlehem actually means house of bread. Bethlehem in Hebrew, house of bread. And it's now known as the city of David because it's the place where he was born and the place where he was anointed as king. But none of that was known at the time. It was just a small little remote little place, Bethlehem. And Samuel is headed to Nowheresville to find the next king of Israel among the sons of a shepherding family. Let's just kind of let this resonate for a minute with how unlikely the choice of David is. But let's also remember that God has providentially preserved this family line. Now, I want you to think back for a minute. We, we studied through the battle of Jericho. Do you remember uh, Joshua sent spies into Jericho to see, you know, what do we need to do to take this city? And when they came into the city, they actually took refuge with, do you remember? Rahab, that's right. Rahab the prostitute. They, she, she took them into their home and they found safety there in Jericho from uh, the, the leader in Jericho. <clears throat> and then later, God, God provided salvation for Rahab and all in her house because she hung something out the window. What was it? A, red, a scarlet cord. That's right. And so God saved her and all her household because uh, of a promise. Well, the, the story goes that she actually, Rahab, actually married one of the spies. And Rahab and that spy ended up having children. Their son was named Boaz. And Boaz would be a, a man who is a farmer, a, a keeper of the fields. He, he had lots of property in Bethlehem. Boaz would end up marrying a young girl named Ruth. Now, we'll spend some time with Ruth's story for Christmas this year. I can't wait to preach through that for Advent. But just a quick summary. Ruth had no business in Bethlehem. The only reason Ruth was in Bethlehem was because her mother-in-law had lost her husband and had no sons. And so her mother-in-law decided the best thing I can do as a widow with only these two daughters-in-laws is I need to move back home and see if somebody will take care of me there. And she, Naomi told her daughters-in-law, go, go, you're young. You need to go remarry and have a life of your own. Go. And Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God. Your people, my people. And Ruth goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Ruth ends up, long story short, marrying in a great portrait of redeeming love, marrying Boaz. And Boaz, remember, who's the child of the saved Rahab from Jericho, marries Ruth, the, the daughter of a widow who moves back to Bethlehem, right? They get providentially married. The two of them have a son named Obed. Obed has a son named, guess, 
Jesse, and Jesse has a son named who? King David. Isn't it amazing the providential care of God to to work the storyline, the fabric of history to bring about his king? David is an unlikely king. But like David, Jesus is an even more unlikely king. Y'all, I can't wait to tell you what I've uh, discovered this week. This has been an exciting week for me. I've learned some really beautiful things. I can't wait to share. Our God is really amazing in how he orchestrates, how he weaves the tapestry of history so that the coming of the king of kings would be impossible were it not for him. Now, here's a few things we know. We know that King David is going to be the one through whom the king of kings is coming, right? It's King David's throne that God promised an eternal throne. This is actually what's known as the Davidic covenant. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promises David that his kingdom will last forever. That one of his sons will be on the throne of David forever. That's an incredible promise. Now, some of that covenant comes true with Solomon, but ultimately that covenant is fulfilled in Jesus, right? But something that you may not know that I didn't realize until this week is something else that happened. Down the line of David's kingly lines, passing the kingdom from father to son, from father to son, from father to son. And it comes along to a man named Jeconiah. Does anybody know that name? Have you heard this name, Jeconiah? Jeconiah is appointed king of Israel, actually, through an odd series of events. And Jeconiah's kingdom in Israel only lasts a little over three months. As Jeconiah begins his reign, it's not good. And God curses Jeconiah. Jeremiah 22 I want us to look at this. So let's see. Sarah, can you put that on the screen? You don't have to turn to it. Let's just look at it. Here's what the Lord says in Jeremiah 22, verse 24. He says, as I live, declares the Lord through Coniah, that's Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Josiah, were the signet ring on my right hand. Yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those of whom you are afraid, even in the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. Can you skip to verse 30? I want you to see this promise. It's a curse. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. Why is that a big deal for a king? Because the succession of the kingdom depends on his children, right? And the promise of God is that the kingdom of David is going to be passed through David's line. Jeconiah is the rightful king. Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days. For none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling in Judah. Do you see that? This is a curse. That seems to be directly in conflict with a promise, the Davidic covenant. The the promise God made was David. 
through your line, in your kingdom, I'm going to establish a kingdom forever. It will be someone from your offspring, from the seed of David, who will sit on this throne forever. And then comes Jeconiah. And in Jeremiah, the prophet gives the word of the Lord a a devastating curse that all of a sudden seems to throw the promise of God off the rails. And what happens? The people of God are brought into Babylonian captivity and hundreds of years pass. The Davidic line actually goes beneath the surface in insignificance. People don't even know who the rightful king is anymore. There hasn't been a king in David's line in centuries. There's no point even keeping up with who the right lineage is. But someone did. And can you guess who the rightful king was at the time of Jesus' birth? His name was Joseph. Carpenter. Joseph. Would you take your Bible? I want to show you something in Matthew chapter 1. Most of us, as we read through the Scriptures, and we come along across genealogies where it's like so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so begot so-and-so. We usually skip right through those things. But the historical record of a genealogy is incredibly significant. And here, it's even more significant. We're seeing how unlikely it is. In fact, impossible it is for a son of David through the line of Jeconiah, right? This curse To be on the throne of David. But let's look at the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew opens the gospel. The New Testament opens with these words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of who? David. The son of Abraham. Those are two massive qualifiers. Here's what Matthew was making sure to do right at the outset. He's the king and he's the seed that God promised. He's the son of Abraham we've been waiting for. So then he goes through the lineage. He walks us down from Abraham. Abraham, father of Isaac. Isaac, father of Jacob. And it keeps on going. Would you pick it up with me in verse 10? Matthew 1, verse 10. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of who? Jeconiah. And his brothers, listen to what he says here, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Elakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, the Messiah. And let me tell you why this is important. Because Matthew gives us the lineage of Joseph, Jesus' earthly adoptive father, right? Luke, on the other hand, gives us the genealogy of Mary, his biological mother. 
Both are children of David. Mary is the biological child of David. We trace her genealogy through the book of Luke. She is biologically in David's line. But through Joseph, Jesus is in the royal line of David. Jeconiah, king, king who was cursed. No offspring of yours will sit on the throne. So how does God hold himself faithful to the promise he makes to David in the covenant and the curse he makes over Jeconiah? How does he do it? The virgin birth. Jesus is the birth child of Mary, but the adopted child of Joseph. Isn't it beautiful? He is an unlikely king, but he's the only one who could be king. There could be no king like him. Like David, Jesus was an unlikely king, but was the sovereign selection of God Almighty. He is the promised son of Abraham, the permanent king on David's throne. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we can't help but notice that everyone, even Samuel, is surprised that the Lord is passing over the older, more physically impressive, most outwardly qualified sons. He passes over all of them. They had even chalked David up to be such a non-candidate that he wasn't even invited to the worship service. I mean, this is a big deal. The the prophet of Israel, Samuel, has come in his old age. He's soon to die. He's come to offer a sacrifice in little bitty Bethlehem. And the family all says, we've got to go. We need to. This is going to be great. David, you watch the sheep. We're going to. It's like Cinderella not being invited to the ball. It really is. Most likely, David was about 12 years old. At this point, maybe they think he's unqualified because he's yet to go through the the ceremonial process of becoming a man. He may not have even hit puberty yet. He was probably about half the man that he would one day be. So here's the reality. They just couldn't see it. How could this kid be king? Does that sound familiar? Is this not the son of the carpenter? We know this boy. He's from Nazareth. Could anything good come out of Nazareth? He's born in Bethlehem, the children of Joseph and Mary. What could he be? They couldn't see it because man doesn't see as God sees, right? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So number two. First, Jesus is an unlikely king. Secondly, Jesus is the shepherd king. One thing we see about David throughout his story is is the role of being a shepherd and how it impacted him as a leader. David was a shepherd. To be anointed as king, they actually had to go get him from the sheep. Can you imagine? This guy comes rolling up stinking He's been out messing with animals. 
And they bring him before Samuel and everybody's shocked. And Samuel says, this is our king. I want you to know after his anointing in 1 Samuel 16, there's a, a break in the timeline. From verse 13 to 14, years pass. And what does David do after being anointed as king? What does he do? He goes back to his sheep. (laughs) How do we know that? Well, King Saul is being plagued with an evil spirit. He's having nightmares. He's he's having issues. and, And somebody says, I know a musician. He plays music to his sheep. He sings great songs. He's... He's a great guy, he's of noble character. I think, I think maybe he could help you. And Saul says, King Saul says, go, go get him. So they bring David from the shepherding world, from the sheepfold, to the palace. But not to be king, to play music for the king. When a giant is in the land in 1 Samuel 17, cursing God, threatening all of Israel. Where's David? Where where does he come from? Watching his sheep. His father said, hey, can you take some lunch down to your brothers in battle? We'll get somebody to watch the sheep for you. Here's what we know of a shepherd. A shepherd knows his sheep. A shepherd loves his sheep. His sheep, he watches them, he cares for them, he feeds them, he protects them. This is the heart of a shepherd. Sheep can do nothing for their shepherd. Much like uh, parenting young children, I would imagine. Um, It's kind of a one-way love. A shepherd grows in selflessness and thanklessness. No one's thanking him for taking care of these animals. It's thankless work. And in the process, this shepherd boy has been refined on the inside. He's become a man in here. He has the heart and character of a man who is selfless, thankless, and thoughtful, and loving, and caring, and kind, and disciplining, and leading There's some principles for leadership here, although that's not the point of this sermon, but wisdom is careful. Maybe we should make make this point. Wisdom is careful not to raise someone to leadership just because of their competency or charisma. What must be the foundation of a great leader is high character. It's what's on the inside that really matters. And a shepherd has endured Long day after long day of giving himself away for the good of his sheep. Well, now this makes for the kind of character God wanted in a king. So over 15 years would pass from uh, Samuel's anointing of David as king. 15 years plus will pass before he's actually installed as king. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, he's installed as king and he was called To be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Do you hear that? As the Lord installs David as king, he says, I want you to be the shepherd of my people. 
Take all that you've learned out in the fields about how to care for sheep, how to love sheep, how to tend the sheep, how to protect the sheep. Take all those things, the selflessness of that kind of a leader, and I want you to shepherd my people. Now, there's imagery of a shepherd and sheep throughout all the Bible. Speaking of our sinfulness, the prophet Isaiah writes and says, we all like sheep have gone astray, every one after his own way, Isaiah 53, 6. David himself would write the most famous psalm ever written. What is it? Psalm? Come on, wake up. Psalm what? 23. The Lord is my what? Shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right. Where did David get all that imagery? How did David come to know the Lord that way? Mm. Out in the fields as a shepherd. God would use this powerful imagery in Ezekiel 34. And it would be good for us to look at this. I want to put some of these verses on the screen for you, because in Ezekiel 34, God is condemning some leaders as evil shepherds. And he's simultaneously promising that he himself would come as the good shepherd that would save his people. Ezekiel 34 in verses one through four, he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Do you see the imagery God's using here to to bring judgment on leaders in Israel? He's saying, I've called you to shepherd my people, but you're, you're out for yourself. A shepherd is a selfless job. It's a thankless job, and you've forgotten it all. In verse 10, the Lord actually says, I am against you. Well, that's a dangerous place to be, isn't it? And then in verse 11, I want you to see this on the screen. Listen to what the Lord says. For thus says the Lord God, behold, this is important. I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Do you see that? What a promise from God, right? Is he just going to send us a good shepherd like David? No, it's even greater. I myself, the Lord promises. Hmm. In verses 15 and 16, he says it again. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will seek the lost. In verse 22, he says, I will rescue my flock. In verse 25, God says, I will make with them a covenant of peace. In verse 31, I love this. He says this. You are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. I am your God, declares the Lord God. Isn't that great? It's a word of 
judgment on evil leaders, evil shepherds, and a word of promise that I'm coming, I'm coming myself to be the good shepherd. Now, what did Jesus say in John 10? Jesus said, what? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is our shepherd king. And thirdly, Jesus is a merciful and patient king. Get a little deeper into the storyline here. After Samuel anointed David to be king, he waited for years. We just said over 15 years. And he went back to caring for sheep, patiently waiting on his time to come on the fulfillment of what God had promised. Those years that passed further refined his character, deepened his resolve to be a man who trusts God no matter what. Then finally, the day came that he got the call to go see King Saul. When he got there, he wasn't asked to put on a crown or wear the robe or sit on the throne. He was asked to pick up a guitar and play some music. Another dose of humility for the promised king. You see, after his disobedience, King Saul had been um, plagued by an evil spirit. And David's music, the Bible says, refreshed him and brought him peace. David, the promised king, is serving the good of a disobedient king. Years this goes on. He becomes his armor bearer. He rises up as a warrior. And then we get to chapter 17 and David ends up taking on Goliath. We'll talk more about that next week. And as the favor of God began to shift toward David, was Saul glad? Was Saul happy to turn over his kingdom to a shepherd boy from Bethlehem? No, he was filled with anger and envy consumed his heart. The people began to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed 10,000. And every time Saul would hear the song, it did not refresh his heart. David had to flee from the anger of a king. And many chapters go by in the storyline of David running and hiding and hiding in caves and running. And along the way, we see that David did not force his way onto the throne. He insisted that the Lord who promised him the kingdom would be faithful and that David would honor this king, no matter how disobedient, he would honor the king that God had anointed until the Lord removed him. On several occasions, while hiding from Saul's murderous attempts, David had opportunities to kill Saul himself. On one such occasion, he actually took his sword and, and cut a piece of Saul's robe just to prove, like, I could have killed you, dude. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I'm not out to kill you. Let's just do this thing in peace. Let's honor God. But it didn't work. But David showed great mercy to his enemy. Now, how does this point us to Jesus? Oh, listen. Listen. 
Jesus was incredibly patient. Miraculously born of a virgin in Bethlehem. At age 12, he's teaching the leaders in the synagogue. At age 30, he's baptized. The Holy Spirit descends on him. All the people see and know who he is. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus doesn't rush his way to the throne. He is patiently walking out obedience to the Father's will. Even though the promise of the throne was eternally his, Jesus was patient, did not take it by force. Instead, Jesus' path to the crown was through a crown of thorns. It was in the laying down of his earthly life that he took his place on the throne as the eternal king. He truly was the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And here's some good news. Listen. Here's some good news. Like David, Jesus is merciful to spare his enemies. Do you know why that's good news? Because as sinners, we were enemies of God. But Jesus has come to save sinners, not condemn them. He's come to rescue lost sheep, not abandon them. He is Patient and merciful to save in the gospel. Sinful enemies are offered terms of peace. Terms of peace in Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. And in me, God has displayed his great mercy. Have you come to Christ for mercy? He is patient. He is merciful. He's patient with you, O sinner. He is merciful, calling you to repent and believe. Believe what? Bow your knee to the shepherd King Jesus. Confess Him as your Lord, your rescuing Savior. He is the good shepherd. Are you trusting Him to lead you? Are you trusting that he will care for you? Are you trusting that he will provide for you? He loves, he feeds, he protects his sheep. He is not a hired hand that will leave you in danger. He gave his life at the greatest danger to your soul. Is he your shepherd? Jesus is king. He sits forever on the throne of David. No man could other than Jesus. God worked both promise and curse to make it so that only Jesus could be the true king. So are you joyfully submitted to his rule? Is it the true desire of your heart? That your will be done. Your kingdom come. Is Jesus your king? So what must we do? What must we do? I would say to you the same thing Peter said in his first sermon in Acts 2. Repent and believe. Repent of ruling over your own life. And believe that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want.
Amen.